the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 357. Today we're coming at you from a slightly different location than usual. We are in Orlando, Florida for Microsoft Ignite 2017. And we are recording the very final podcast. It's been recorded here at the podcast uh, centre. So we are going to be giving a bit of a wrap-up today of the highlights of Ignite 2017. So I'm Paul Spain, and let me introduce you to our guest. First up, uh, Richard. Give us a little intro on where you fit into this world Um, of technology. Well, well, I think we're going to make this an annual tradition, right? We did this at Ignite 2016 in Atlanta. Um, My name's Richard Hay. I work for Penton Technology, and I write uh, on Microsoft technology and things like that. And so I'm here at Ignite to hear all the news that's come out, and there's been a lot this week. Freddie. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Um, Freddie Fuentes. I work for Owens, Illinois, based out of Ohio. And I'm a user of all things Microsoft, very in- enthusiastic about all their products, uh, mostly on the server space. That's great. Thank you. And Chris. Excellent. I'm Chris Jackson. I'm a senior architect on our cybersecurity team at Microsoft. And I work directly with enterprise customers to help figure out how do we help address getting you more secure in a very, very risky world. That's kind of an important thing these days, Chris. So I'm looking yeah, forward to hearing some of Yeah, it's a little busier than we probably would have liked lately. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, uh, well let's, let's jump in. Um, first of all, I want to, to hear thoughts on sort of highlights from the start of the show, particularly uh, Sachin Nadella's keynote, but you know, there were other sort of you know, keynotes on, uh, on varying things. And uh, you know, keen to hear the sort of the, I guess the, the thing that was, was jumping out for you or the thing that is, is most important in terms of your areas of, uh, of interest. For me, it was the, there's this Microsoft 365 word, phrase, term. You know, we heard, first heard it back in May when they launched uh, for the edu- for the the new hardware and stuff like that. They did educate or enterprise and business, right? And this week, it seemed as if everything was prefaced with Microsoft 365, and then they tell us it's Windows 10, Office 365, and EMS for management and security. And you know, they seem it seemed to have. It, I think that's becoming an umbrella term to talk about all the, the machine learning, AI, services, products, everything comes out of Azure that Microsoft is doing. And I think it makes sense because it's Microsoft 365 days a year using the services and getting the tools and stuff like this. So for me, that has been the common theme across the whole week so far. Yeah. And what do you think of this idea of, uh, of bringing Windows and Office together and having something that, um, you know, it's still early days, but, uh, you know, it's getting, uh, getting wrapped up in a way that becomes simpler to manage, simpler to secure, simpler uh, to deploy than trying to look at each, uh, each piece. Because, you know, when we look across the world, there's a pretty big number of people that, uh, that run Windows right. with Office, uh, and then, you know, they add on the, the management and security pieces as well in some form. Now, not always the Microsoft pieces, but this brings it together right. as a very integrated solution. And, and you know, over, over time, no doubt, will we'll be even more tightly integrated. Well, exactly. And I think that's the key word is the integration, right? There's a lot of synergy between Windows 10, Office 365, and then having a means to manage it and to manage your updates, manage your users, manage the whole picture. 
And I think that, for me, this Microsoft 365 thing, really, if you're in the ecosystem, if you're in the Microsoft ecosystem, why not have every bit of the tools to bring it all together? And I think that's what that, that package does. And then, of course, you've got everything feeding those services. So it, it fits everything in a really nice, neat package. And if I'm an enterprise or a business customer, I like the idea of getting my services from one place and not having to piecemeal things together. Mm. Freddie, you got any thoughts on uh, Microsoft 365? Have you had had a little bit of a look at uh, what this is is all about? We have, and uh, you know, as uh, as Richard mentioned, you know, bringing things together into one one place is very important to us. We we uh, we don't like to shop around uh, very much in in terms of going to different vendors for all these different pieces to make and try to make them fit together. That's you just, want it simple. That's crazy. Simple, yes, absolutely. You know. And from what, what you've seen, were there any particular features that, uh, that jumped out to you? I mean, one, one of the things that I, I hear quite a few people talking about uh, is autopilot. This idea, uh, and I know that your company has how many, how many branches? Uh, almost 93 branches Not, globally. 93 branches. Yeah. So you've got these branches all around the world. Um, I'm sure you've got people that will work remotely and so on. Uh, so, and this this concept um, of being able to send somebody a machine, have them log into that computer, and this is still early days for it, but certainly the uh, the vision for it, somebody will be able to take a new computer, log in, and the bulk of what needs to be done to get them up and running, uh, being being automo- automated. Uh, with autopilot, is that something you can see? Uh, you know, taking a little bit of a, a load off off your guys, especially in those sort of ur- you know urgent scenarios where you, you've actually got a machine that's ready, it's you know ordered, and it's sort of you know linked up with your company. There's a bit of behind the scenes that has to be done there to make that happen, uh, but to be able to get somebody up and running really quick. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we um, take a lot of time, and, and and there's a lot of effort involved in getting a user up and running. Um, and uh, w- whether it's bringing them into the office and having to swap devices out, uh, you know, something as, as simple as that would definitely help us reduce that downtime and, uh, and get the user um, back to productivity state. Cool. Chris, now you know a thing or two about uh, Microsoft 365. <laughs> There's a fair bit of you know, security bits and pieces tied in there. Mm-hmm. What, what is the... Uh, the thing that is maybe you know, getting the most interest at the moment, do you think, from a, a security perspective? Honestly, I, I, I'm actually really delighted to hear you know you guys' opinions on hey, the integration really works for me because that to me is absolutely the biggest trend that I'm hearing. Right, the migration away from best of breed. Let me make a checklist of all of the things that I have to do as an enterprise customer. Right, and then go item by item and say, what's the best thing in the world for this and the best thing in the world for that? And what tends to happen is it's a lot like assembling a baseball team, right? an American baseball team, I guess wrong, wrong uh, analogy, a rugby team. That's uh, bad. Assemble, <laughs> assemble, yeah. assemble the rugby team and pick each position and find the best person at that position. And what we know is I'd rather have people that can play well together. Right? So that transition from best of breed to best of suite Right, if you can You're talking do, about the All Blacks here. If you, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the best. Playing together. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's that concept, like from a security perspective, is to take away the complexity. Because it's not as if adding 
something more with the name security written on the box inherently makes you more secure. Things that are designed to work better together. That, I think, is sort of the untold story. It's not sexy like a product name, but the reality is is that delivers real value. right? And I'm hearing the exact same thing at the event, whereas before we'd say, yeah, we had a product that did it, but it kind of, unless you met this specific set of criteria, it kind of didn't do that for you, and now it actually does. right? These things are really hitting their stride. So when we, when we look at the security elements that are in uh, Microsoft 365, there's, you know, there's, lots, there's lots of pieces to that, mm-hmm. uh, to that puzzle. Where, where, do you, where do you see um, you know, the, the biggest sort of game for people, uh, other than you know, tying it together, that simplicity that you're actually you know, ticking off a whole lot of boxes? Because... Mm-hmm. You know, often what happens is you know, people get stuck at the, at the start. I mean, I still come across organizations today where they're still trying to work out how to take administrative rights away from you know, everyday users that are not administrators. And even those that are administrators shouldn't be operating with their administrative rights all day, every day. Yes, so yes. You know, sometimes it's hard just to, uh, just to fix the, the, the basics like that. Um, but you know, after after they get that stuff done, what's um, you know what's exciting and, and new that people would be uh, that would be interested in? Because I guess you know we're at a time now where um, Windows 10 is just being refreshed with the uh, full creators update, which doesn't mean a whole lot in anywhere outside of the US. Uh, especially the New Zealand, part, right? <laughs> um, you know. Our yeah, season, someone didn't really we, think that all. We the don't way call through. it fall. There, there might be a southern hemisphere. Apparently, yeah, they didn't occur yeah, to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, we have opposite seasons in the southern right. hemisphere as well. So, um, but anyway, we're um, let's let's not let's not labour that one because I know that's nothing to do with you, Chris. Um, but I'll I'll, I'll mention yeah. it every now and then, and you know. What one day the naming will. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, as someone who spends, I tend to spend a couple of weeks a year at least in New Zealand, right? Yeah. So I'm very clued into the fact that, yeah, we're very, very different. Um, actually, I'm going to pick a couple of things I think are really just delicious, right? In terms of some of the things that are out there and, and have massive improvements, and I'm going to pick them because of where they fit on the spectrum, what you can do, right? Um, in in our cybersecurity thinking, we you know, sort of aligned to the NIST model of protect, detect, and respond. That kind of drives a lot of our thinking. Um, on the detection side, if you look at what we're doing in Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection, or ATP, um, first of all, you notice that, boy, we sure seem to like that ATP name because we use it for a whole bunch of stuff that's loosely related. It's, it's um, growing, isn't it? I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm confused by how often we reuse term, but, you know, we love that at Microsoft. I think of .NET, you know, 10 years ago, how often we use that one. Um, but the Defender ATP... Its ability to see things is remarkable because, in essence, what we're plugging into is what we actually initially designed to help make Windows itself better. Telemetry, right? Telemetry that most enterprise customers would turn off because the possible benefit was maybe we'd catch a bug and fix it sometime down the line. Maybe. The risk was, I don't really know everything you're sending, and I'm kind of worried about that. And it's really low-level stuff that's kind of hard to completely disassemble and say what it is. So most people turn it off. Well, that data, it turns out, is very, very effective at doing things like spotting malicious software that just exists in memory. And it was so hard to find that otherwise, because where are we looking today? I'm looking on the network. Well, it doesn't exist on the network. It's being assembled later. I'm looking on the hard drive. We never wrote it to the hard drive. Now I can actually look at what's going on and examine the behavior and go, that's not normal behavior. 
because we're plugging it up telemetry's team. So detection we can do better than we've ever done before. On the protection side, what I really love, as you said, you know, we've been trying to eliminate admin rights, and we've made some good progress, right? I mean, in 2006, nobody didn't run as admin effectively, right? There wasn't that common. And now most people try to get at least a good percentage of people running as non-admin. So we've made a lot of progress there. What we've been doing lately is how do we address sort of the next quantum shift in how we do technology, which is transitioning from trusting all software by default and mistrusting it by exception to mistrusting all software by default and trusting it by exception, whitelisting. And the, the, this is something that's, that's very interesting because this is drawing on, on the crowd, isn't it? This is drawing on you know, a whole big pool of, of data in terms of the new smarts for handling that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So run, run us through how that works because you know, there have been uh, you know, capabilities within Windows Enterprise in the past where you can go manually you know, whitelist or, or blacklist, <laughs> right? And that's, that's pretty hard work. That, that, um, that doesn't go pretty well typically. Um, but what do we got now? So I've actually posited there's like four tiers, right? You should reset your low watermark because most people's low watermark is no whitelisting. Because thinking black and white, it was, I'm going to explicitly say on this device, this software will run. Well, that approach doesn't work very well when the typical customer, when you say, say I'm getting ready for a Windows migration, step one is, I wonder what software is running on those machines. They don't know. They're like, uh, so how can you whitelist it if you perpetually don't know what's running? So that's the extreme. Obviously, that's still what I would recommend, right? The explicit control for special purpose devices, ATMs, right? Someone in a call center, perhaps, um, you know, point of sale systems, right? If I'm at a checkout lane, a self-checkout, that, that could be effectively whitelisted because that's all the software that should ever run. But rather than nothing, we start off with this ability to plug into the cloud. So we have the intelligent security graph, which is a wildly overused term, but is an actual thing that has data on the reputation of applications. We see, hey, how long is this thing running? Does this thing look pretty common? Is anyone reporting it? Because reputation has to be earned over time, whether by the certificate of who signed it, by the way, and signing your stuff is really important, and getting more so. Um, or by the nature of the file itself. It's going to earn a reputation. And we'll plug into that and say, yep, this one has a good reputation so far. We'll go ahead and auto-whitelist that for you. You don't even have to pick it. That is a much better entry point. And then we can look at the next stage, right? We've got some techniques that initially came from the NSA white papers, what most people know about it, just whitelisting the admin-writable areas so that standard users, once we get there, um, can't just download and run something. But if the admin drops there, that's okay. Then we look at the managed installer feature that was added for the 1703, the already shipping version of DeviceGuard, now Windows Defender Application Control, where I'm just going to flag and say, System Center Configuration Manager is my managed installer. Anything it puts on the file system will get tagged with, yep, this one's okay, and auto-whitelisted. So now we have four different levels, so you can start with the masses, having something better than nothing and gradually work your way up based upon the importance of protecting that endpoint. That's cool. Now, just before we finish talking on the, that, in that direction around um, security, in your role, you must come across and see some pretty interesting things <laughs> out there. 
can you pick pick one one story to share with us um, from what you've seen in in the cybersecurity world that you you know you think uh, people would would find interesting that you know maybe uh, uh, some of some of these newer features might um, you know might help reduce these risks. The, the, the craziest thing I've ever seen story is that what you're looking for? That sounds the good. The riskiest to me. thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, so. Probably the single biggest thing we spend the most of our time thinking about and working on is you know, really protecting identity. Right? And, and that's something that we've been saying for a while. That comes as a surprise to absolutely nobody. Um, but for me, the big thing is I need to reduce the amount of surface area that I'm exposing. Right? And we have a tier model that we put together that says I'm going to sort of divide my world into tiers 0, 1, and 2. Zero is control over that identity plane. Tier 1 is my servers and services. And tier 2 are my endpoints. Tier zero, if you control identity, that's the skeleton key. That gets you in everywhere. So understanding how big that is and shrinking it down is very, very important. You know, because what people know that their domain admins and enterprise admins have that power. What they don't think about is if I install an agent on a domain controller that has privilege, then whoever controls that agent controls the domain controller and is therefore a tier zero admin equivalent. Right. Or if I have another... Total control. Yeah. If I'm running on a virtualization fabric or shared storage, whoever controls those subsystems has is a tier zero admin equivalent. Or if I install an agent running on some other random server, that the identity the agent is running under is a member of the domain admins group, then they're a tier zero admin equivalent. All the way up to and including the most horrifying story, which was an agent running on every single endpoint where the user account was a member of domain admins. So literally, you pop one endpoint, you get the rest for free. Right? That kind of configuration. Like that is the, basically their entire organization is tier zero exposed. Wow. That's the worst I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, scary stuff. Okay. <laughs> now. Don't, don't do that, by the way. <laughs> not a recommended practice. So, Freddie. Out of the out of the keynote for you, what was there something that stood out? I think just the uh, the innovations that Microsoft's coming out with, and in collaboration with multiple organizations, just to bring us products that help us do more. Right, like that that's their motto, and just the fact that they're going out there and doing things like um, you know the the um, quantum computing, like that's just insane. You know. We, you know Microsoft was never thought of as an innovation company like that, right? And and now they're out leading on the bleeding edge, doing stuff that you can't even imagine. So, got a question? Were you able to get your head around quantum cu- computing? Not one bit. No so way. You're not, you're not going to give us a, a, a simple explanation of quantum computing. Not even close. We can get a whiteboard for you. <laughs> I understood one part that was Schrodinger's cat, and that's only because I watched The Big Bang Theory. Okay, that's the only part. Man, that stuff was like yep. the IQ in that room went up significantly when those four folks walked on stage to talk to Satya that morning. It, it, tremendous stuff, don't get me wrong. But, wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. I still want to know how I'm going to run Skype on that or Word <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> on a on head, quantum maybe. computer. Yeah, exactly. That has to run at, what is head. it, 459 points? Kelvin, yeah. Uh, six degree below zero, something like that. Yeah. Chris, 
You don't have a room in your house air conditioned to that level? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be kind of interesting to walk into a, into a space Ooh. and it's cold. Um, what's your take on this whole quantum computing thing? Do you think this is something that's going to take a, a, a long time to develop? And, you know, we, we do, what do you see it doing for us? That, uh, that's a hard question, right? Because historically, right, we're very, very... We underestimate things that happen in the near term and overestimate timelines in the far... T- or no, overestimate in the near term, underestimate in the long term yeah. in terms of how, how fast things are going to change. Obviously, a lot of people are looking at it. Um, there's a huge amount of you know, potential risk to some of the ways that we think. You know, for example, today, are the key sizes we're using for encryption going to be big enough in an era where I can compute at much higher velocities, right? And does that, does that change? Like, how does that impact the way I have to behave going forward? And the answer is, I, I don't know. That's certainly something that comes but, up quite a bit, doesn't it, when you're talking about these things, as you think, yeah, this is really secure. Actually, add quantum computing into the mix, and it might be, you know, not secure at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at least well, we don't have to worry that, about that until our, that guy in somebody's basement has a quantum computer running, right? Well, how do, how With do the 400-pound guy? How, how do we know that Chris doesn't? Well, I don't right. know. That you got to keep that pretty cold. <laughs> that, that, that's just, that is mind-boggling amount of computing. Just unreal. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chris, what's, what's been your pilot, either the keynote or the week in terms of things that have uh, you know, stood out for you? I mean, this is your world, right? Yeah. You're living and breathing inside Microsoft all the time. I know you're very focused on cybersecurity, but you, you've maybe caught a bit of the, the bigger picture as, you, you know, as you, I'm sure you do day to day. Now, for me, I mean, I, the, the overall feeling that I think is the big highlight is it really feels like we've hit our stride because we made the biggest change we've made in our engineering approach, which is let's move away from the whole waterfall, right? Do a plan, execute the plan three years, right? Ship it, finalize it, wait three months for it to get through to all the OEMs, get stamped on boxes, print the CDs, box them up, shrink wrap them, send them to all the stores of the world to hey, now we're shipping stuff all of the time. And it was, a, it was a rough transition. We had to relearn how to be engineers in this model. And, you know, I'm most excited about Windows, probably because it's where I spend the most of my time sort of looking and, and feeling the endpoint. And just the things that we're doing and how we're turning that around, I think super, super exciting. Like the same with the, with the cloud and these things are just shipping constantly. It feels like we've hit our stride and, and people are feeling that. It's no longer chaotic. I mean, I think we still have things to solve, right? Because the one, the one thing that remains out there from a challenges perspective is we now can write code way faster than we can write documentation. So how do you, I mean, so events like this allow us to come up and tell our story and you just keep looking around and seeing all these ah, aha moments from everyone because they're like, oh, I get it for things that seemed obvious to us. Right, so now your documentation comes from events, it comes from blogs, it comes from the official documentation. I mean, even our documentation team has taken to Twitter saying, hey, we've documented this now. And we're now part of the social and they're interacting and getting feedback of, oh, you want more of this? Let's respond to that. So we're starting to fix that too. It really is everything starting to finally catch up. And that's what I'm really seeing at this event, even compared to last year. 
you know, I, I got to say, along that same line, talking about documentation, they now have their documentation on GitHub. You can contribute. It's open source documentation now. So if you've learned something or seen something, you can go submit a pull request and get it added to the documentation. You know, and I, and I think I said to you earlier, it, the other part of this agility that we see out of Microsoft now, and I truly believe they're finally getting their stride. Their, their feet are under them with this. We're two years into Windows 10, right? But I went to two sessions this week that were about products that went from an idea to general availability in about a year, year and a half time frame. That it was not the way Microsoft <laughs> did software a few years ago. No, sir. And that is right in line with what Chris was saying. This, this agility to to build releases, fix things, and keep things moving forward is just, it, it, it's not your dad's Microsoft, I guess you could say, but it truly is a, something I've never seen in the 20 plus years I've been writing and wa working around Microsoft stuff. Yeah, yeah. Freddie, how do you find it to keep up to date with what's going on at Microsoft and what's happening uh, you know, with the products, especially you know, you're sitting in a, in a more sort of senior role than maybe you used to be as a, as a you know, more in an IT pro type position. Um, how do you keep up to date and make those sort of, you know, business decisions? Is it coming to events like this? Is it podcasts? Is it, you know, how do you consume the content? Because with things moving so quick, um, there's actually, there's lots of, there's lots of ways of consuming, but you kind of have to either pick somewhat, some of them or you, you get a bit left behind, right? Because you Absolutely. can't keep up with all of it. Yeah, it, it's a daunting task. And, you know, keeping, keeping my employees and, and those helping me get uh, stuff done is very difficult task to just keep them uh, not only motivated to, to learn continuous learning, um, but to, to keep up with technology is just it's a crazy task. And, and with Microsoft innovating so quickly, it, it makes it even more challenging, right? So, um, yes, keep, keeping up with events like this, listening to podcasts. Um, Microsoft provides great training opportunities um, within their uh, en uh, enterprise agreement um, customers. So they, they provide a lot of uh, technical information. Um, their TAMs always uh, communicating with us. These are the technical account managers. Technical account managers, yeah. yeah they, they are always communicating with us. This is coming up. This is, you know, this is what you need to look into. What are your challenges as well to help us deliver what you need in order to keep up with us? And, mm. th and that's, uh, you know, uh, sending them to boot camps and all, all that good stuff. That's not really the way we're doing it anymore, <laughs> right? Because that, that keeps you up to date to a point. But then as soon as you finish that boot camp, something new is around the bend. So you got to, you know, learn something new. Yeah. Well, there's certainly been a, a, a lot of, uh, you know, interesting and sometimes, you know, brand new information that's been shared this week at, at Ignite. Um, and one of the nice things that I like about uh, this event is that you don't have to actually come to Ignite. You don't have to travel to Orlando to, you know, consume a lot of the information Obviously, there's always a benefit of being here and the people that you get to meet and hang out with and, you know, the, the, the information that, that, that comes from bumping in, talking to others and so on. Um, but I think basically all of the content uh, is online. And, in fact, uh, I think it's maybe 24 hours before sessions happen the slides are online, so you can actually go and get a little bit prepped up, get a little bit of a handle. Is this a session I want to go to? What's going to be covered? And then 24 hours after the session, then the content's online, 
and people can consume it for free. So um, that does add to the overload of content to consume. Uh, but the nice thing is that it, that it is actually there. So um, you know, certainly for uh, listeners, it would know, be my recommendation is if you've got particular areas of interest or things that you know, you've maybe heard a little bit about, whether it's something through this podcast, another podcast, a tweet, um, or yeah, just an area of interest, then just have a look through the content that's that's gone online because there's been actually so much you know news this week, and you know I haven't had time to get into all of the you know hundreds of of uh, of sessions, but you know everything that I've wandered into, I've found uh, there, there's some pretty uh, pretty useful information there, right? As of this morning, over 300 sessions are already online to view. Wow. So, how many of those would you will you consume? I'm not sure about that. Because <laughs> I'm going to consume some of it. You're going to have a look. It, here's yeah. the reality: when I first laid out my schedule for Ignite, I probably had four or five sessions in every time slot that I wanted to go to. Yeah. But you have to trim that down, just like anybody does, because you can't. We haven't figured out how quantum computing can get me into four or five <laughs> different sessions. So. You know, you've got to choose and decide what's going to be the best bang for the buck now. And then, like you said, use those tools later to catch up. Let your employees have time at their desk to spend watching some of this stuff as well. as part of their work day. Yep. You know? Absolutely. I'll go one for you, Freddie. Um, how, do, how do you do that with your team in terms of that balance between doing new things and actually what has to be done right now? Because, it, you know, it seems in this... In the world of technology, there's always more than enough work to be done in terms of the, the day-to-day, but there's that necessity to sort of stop and, and sharpen your axe, especially with the pace of, of change with technology. If you're using technology that's two or three years old and you're not utilising uh, you know, what's current, you know, not only are you dealing with you know, cyber security mm-hmm. issues and, and those sorts of challenges, you know, you're, you're dealing with the fact that it's probably uh, you know, taking you longer than it should to manage and maintain it. Um, your end users are missing out on productivity benefits. So um, that in itself can be quite a challenge, right? But yeah, you, you, you have to do it. You can't just be sitting on, on the old tech. You fall behind really quick. Yeah. Yeah, no, so um, we, you know, we, we try to find efficiencies in our workflows to to try to reduce the amount of time that we're spent firefighting things and make sure that they're working in the way we want them to work and and as the the minute you realize that the the benefit of that investment then you start to play around and you you're you're able to spend a little bit more time and and but i think the biggest thing is just providing them with that opportunity and and i don't know you know many companies out there probably don't give them that chance to okay you need an hour for training part of your day that that has to be part of the culture that's good that's good and these companies have got to become agile mm. yeah absolutely just as much as microsoft has become agile like freddie was saying you've got to become agile yourself because you are behind about six months after well maybe the next day sometimes so you got to give you've got to build that into your system somehow and and to stay caught up with it chris what are your recommendations on this because when you're looking at cyber security things you can't you know, people can't afford to actually just sit on their hands and, and be doing you know things the the way they used to be done a few years ago and using the older older technologies. Um, 
because they're going to you know they're, they're going to be so much more susceptible uh, to risk. So, are there any particular um, you know techniques that you tend to recommend to to companies to keep up to date and to be you know getting getting uh, current? Yeah, there's risk in standing still is how I think of it. Right, just because you're not doing it, and the, and the way I view it is, if you were to build a building. You could either choose to constantly maintain the building, maybe clean the bathrooms every day, or you could send no one in to maintain it, and then when the bathrooms get so disgusting that no one will use them, just blow up the building and build a new one. (laughs) That's how people treat their software. I'm going to hire someone out. They're going to build it. I'm going to schedule it as a project. The software will be done, and then I'm going to stick it in my deployment system, and I'm going to hold on to it, hopefully until the end of time. Instead of thinking of it as a capability. And so the, the guidance I've been giving there is run your corporate apps like a proper app store. We know what that feels like. We know what that looks like. Right? So get very used to, hey, I'm going to keep tabs on how brittle you are. Right? Because one of the things we certainly notice when people are trying to stay up to date, because to your point, there's a huge risk in standing still. Like so many of the incidents that have happened in the past few months have just been, we just didn't patch, right? And it was, and it was even more remarkable was how they continued being effective. You know, put out a patch out in March. In May, the first exploit came. People hadn't patched. Everyone looks around and goes, that was pretty devastating, and then still doesn't deploy the patch. So the next week, another one comes out, and they still hadn't patched. The next week, another one comes out. And you're like, how many warnings do you need? But if I stop investing in software as a capital asset that I want to hold on forever with no maintenance and invest in a capability. I need to do this as a business. Today, it takes the form of this software and it will need to evolve much like as you sit there on your phone and you see the little, you know, every week new updates come in for the apps. If you notice that something's not updating, you should start to question that. Why are you not updating? You know, there is no such thing as good enough in software because there's always changes that grow and evolve. The middleware you depended on may be a challenge. That's been implicated in some of the recent events is I'm not servicing the middleware. You know, we've got Java coming out of the browser. Oracle announced that January of last year and people are still starting to come out. I need to invest in maintaining it and kind of look at it. You don't want to be constantly on a treadmill. I understand that, right? That's frustrating to be having to constantly move. At the same time, you know, the, and the notion, and we see this a lot with people who think that LTSB on their desktops is a good idea, right? I'm going to put it on here and do nothing for 10 years because, boy, that seems easier. To instead, you know what? The actual cost to me, if I just keep the team going and thinking about it, is I don't have the lost knowledge. I don't have to reconstruct everything I know because I've never lost it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's um, it's definitely important to be keeping up to date. Now, something I um, um, was talking with someone about just just yesterday was around that you know organisations that have got their own apps now that those things can be pushed through uh, the store, can't they? In terms of being able to actually keep them keep them up to date and keep things you know out there, so the actual management of having to you know manage uh, apps and keeping them up to date that side's actually getting easier too because when they go through the store there's not you know oh let's you know have to run an install and an updater and so on because that's actually that's handled now for you so you can uh, you know let go of a lot of that load window store for business i mean yeah. that's something you've seen a, a lot of things that, we, that we've been trying to take a really long hard look because in the past think about it right 
how many thousands of people had to learn how to run an exchange server? All independently, they'd all solve that problem. And at first, it could potentially be a differentiator, right? If I can get email slightly faster, I have a competitive advantage. I'm going to reply sooner than my competitor. But now everyone can get it mostly working. So really, it's just risk. If I run it wrong, then people don't have email for a while, right? Why do we have to build the exact same solution 7,000, 8,000, 9,000, 20,000 times? It doesn't make sense. The same with app deployment. Why should every single organization have to see what first-party, third-party tools am I going to cobble together to create the right experience? Instead, wouldn't I rather just plug into an experience that people are already familiar with? And if it's not exactly the right experience for me, we can provide that feedback. I mean, the engineering teams that I work with are more responsive than they've ever been before. They're hungry. They want data. They want stories to go back and help them make a better feature and tell a better story because it's no longer make a plan for three years and you're too late. It's oh, that's a good idea. Let's see if we can get that in by the time the next one ships. Oh, maybe not. Okay, we'll slip to the next one, but let's put it in place so that we build it exactly once. It's so much more efficient. Yeah, great. Now, Sachin Zell launched his book this week. Um, just keen to hear some, some thoughts on what you know what you heard from Sacha this week. Um, Richard, were you in the, the session where yeah, uh, was. He, he was I, interviewed yeah, by I went to Walter the fireside. Isaacson? I did, the, the and they, they did it over the, across the way, but extremely interesting. I've been able to about read the dust cover on the book so far, mm. but nothing else. Um, but what was interesting was sitting in the fireside chat. I mean, we've all seen Satya Nadella on stage in keynotes and other events and he, he's a very good orator, tells a great story. And I think from what I understand of this book and what I heard him say on Monday during the fireside chat, that is exactly how this book is going to read. I, I will tell you this. My editor started reading the book yesterday. She finished it last night. So I, that's the kind of I, book. I it was an easy read. That on Twitter, yep. yeah. It was an easy read. And, you know, what I think is brilliant about this book from the hit refresh perspective, because that's truly from, a, from an outsider, non-Microsofty type person looking in, but someone who is intimately familiar with Microsoft, because I, I go to events there at, on, at the Redmond campus each year, you, you could feel the change that was occurring, right? And I, th- I think the special employee edition, I don't know if you saw the pictures people were tweeting, that they, they, he marked up a copy to provide additional insight to the Microsoft employees in their copy of the book. I mean, truly, uh, and then a lot of talk about empathy. That was the overarching kind of thing, approaching leadership with empathy. Mm -hmm. And I spent 30 years in the Navy, and I learned very well that that makes a big deal. You know, wielding a hammer is not always the best way to get production or to get things out of people. Usually it's a bit of empathy and help. So I'm looking forward to reading the book myself. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Freddie, anything from, from, from you in terms of your observations of, of Satya Nadella since he's been in leadership or anything that you've, you know, you've heard uh, here the, this week that uh, stands out for you? Well, there's, you know, there's just a way about him that just draws you in, right, in um, the way he speaks and, and, and uh, speaks passionately about uh, Microsoft. It just, it's, uh, it's refreshing, actually. Mm. Chris, what's it what's it like for a, a Microsofty um, being under this really you know refreshed Microsoft? 
um, you know, because I think there's been a, a, f- a fair bit of change. It's uh, it's it's fair to say uh, between how the organisation uh, was with uh, with you know Steve uh, Barmer's leadership, and you know, look, Bill and and Steve, you know, obviously did an incredible job over a, over a period. But you know, sometimes things need to change, and uh, you know, it certainly uh, seems to have. What what are your insights from inside? Oh, it's night and day different. I mean, it's a very, very different place. The old, it's not that the old way didn't work for what it aimed to do, right? But, you know, the, just like the book title, right, what got you here won't get you there, is that you have to be able to adjust to the times, and we're just in a different place. I mean, just in, t- in terms of the types of software that we build, it is different to build cloud services that are dynamically adjusting than it is to build packaged software that goes over the time span of years. The value of individual heroes has gone way down. The value of team players has gone way up because you can't execute with individual heroes. And the, the other big shift, and this is a, a hard one you know, culturally for a lot of leaders, is the no whining. Right? And that was referenced in the book, but it's true. right? A friend of mine, Jeffrey Snover, got promoted to Tactical Fellow, and he was telling me the story even before the book came out about how he went in. It's like, you're an executive now. You don't get to whine anymore. You, you, these are your people. These are your assets. Here's what you have to control. You are an executive because you can make this happen. And so it is, it is trust and it is empathy, but it is not expectation. It's not infighting. You can't sit there and whine your way to a better outcome, better review, better whatever. It's just solve the problem. That's why you're here. And being at the epicenter of that, it's like, we're cool again. (laughs) God, I miss that. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, I think, you know, a lot of what we've seen this week, uh, you know, really stands out for how capable Microsoft is now, how well they're competing in a whole lot of areas, uh, and how strong uh, the leadership is, and the, you know, the culture seems to be, uh, you know, really healthy. It's great. All right, well, I think that wraps us up for this episode. So where do we find each of you online? Richard, you're, uh, uh, you'll find you're me Twitter. on Twitter almost 24-7, at WinOBS. <laughs> excellent, yep. excellent. Freddie? Equally on Twitter, at uh, Freddie Fuentes. Excellent. Thank you. And we'll put these up on the uh, show notes as well at nztechpodcast.com. And Chris? And I am at AppCompatGuy. <laughs> okay. Click. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for listening in. You can catch me, uh, paulspain.com uh, slash updates if you want to get my regular updates. Hey, thanks everybody for joining in on this special episode from uh, Microsoft Ignite at or, uh, in Orlando, Florida. Uh, special thank you to Microsoft for uh, for making this uh, episode and my coverage at um, at Ignite possible. And uh, look, just to remind everybody, we will be, uh, or let everybody know, we will be uh, back to our normal sort of scheduling this coming uh, week. There's lots of New Zealand news to be talking about. Uh, Also be diving into uh, a few of the the key bits of uh, learning uh, from my uh, recent trip to India for a Smart Cities event there uh, with Ford, where I spent some time with their futurist uh, again, who I'd uh, I'd met previously in San Francisco. Um, so yeah, there's going to be some uh, some really interesting content coming up, and really lots going on from a, uh, a New Zealand perspective as well uh, to mention in there. So we'll uh, we'll be jumping into some of that New Zealand 
content as well. All right, well, thanks everybody for joining us and a special thanks to Process Street, who are, of course, our uh, new sponsor. And look, if you're wanting to improve your efficiency in your organization around your processes or you're wanting to make sure uh, certain things get done a little bit more consistently, such as a rollout of your computers uh, or particular projects that that your organization does on a regular basis, maybe it's uh, how you onboard your staff but those are the sorts of things that process is absolutely fantastic with uh, and you get access to a free trial and if you decide to uh, to go ahead and use it ongoing access to a 10% discount uh, if you sign up at nztechpodcast.com slash process street all right that's it i'll catch you again in a few days see ya the new zealand tech podcast Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.